This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore is brought to you by our generous listener supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you appreciate what we do and would like to join them, go to dollamore.com slash PayPal or dollamore.com slash Patreon. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Everybody, welcome to this very special episode, number 681 of I Data with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Before we get to the fantastic conversation with Brian Hardgroove yes. from Public Enemy, yes. we have to just give a little disclaimer because we, we have a dog in here. And the dog's name is Popeye. Yeah, you, may not, say, you may not have yeah. heard of him. It's not that we have a dog. Like, there's some random scamp in the <laughs> studio. And we got him a new ball. And he is currently... It's a ball within a ball. Yeah, a plastic ball with three holes in it. And then a ball is in there. And you can't get that other ball out. So it is maddening for Pop. He is very... He just smashed it into the wall. You might have heard it. <laughs> He's desperately trying to get the ball out, and this was probably not the best toy to get, given that he is off often he's in here. Everywhere. <laughs> he's often in here when we're recording, usually sleeping, but now he's pissed because he can't get this ball to, <laughs> to work. So and sorry listen, about that. He is demonstrating the kind of stick to itiveness that I think uh, we should all aspire. Sure, that's a great lesson to take from what we're witnessing here. Well, I Absolutely, gotta, I got to twist it into something so we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> So it's been a while since we've done a bonus episode, and yes. I'm I'm gonna declare it right here. We want this to be the summer of bonus episodes. Yeah, this was a good good time, and it reminded me of some of the great conversations we've had uh, over the course of of the you know, 681 goddamn episodes we've done. Yeah, we we want to get back into it, and we're happy that we were able to kick off the reentry into bonus episodes with. Brian Hardgroove. Yeah. So it, it is. Let me say this. Yeah. We have had professors and authors and politicians. We have, we've had our own congressman on the show several times. And I'm, I don't know that I've been as excited for a guest as I, as I, as I was for this particular, for Brian. It's yeah. public enemy. I talk about it a little bit in the, in the episode, maybe a little bit too much, but. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy is one of those groups for me that's I, I top five. Yeah, Gr- grew up listening to Chuck D, and it really was kind of an informing. That ah, we'll get into. I don't want to spoiler alert. I mean, we talk about it, but it, it, it's really this is this was a, a, a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. One of those things that I'll look back on very fondly, and I'm glad, super glad to be connected with him on. Uh, Social media. Yeah. So for those who don't know, he's a producer and bass player for Public Enemy. Yes. And he is starting a new band, putting that together, the Unholy Crows. And you'll, you'll be able to see information to track him down on social media in the show notes. So look for those. But it, it was, it was a really great conversation. We, connected with Brian via social media and thought it would be a great opportunity for him to come on, talk about some of his life experiences, his experiences in public enemy, and also get some commentary on the current situation that we have in America with protests and the ongoing police violence that is evident every single day in the news. The other reason I think it's great is because it were a couple of white people and it's it's good to check in, you know, get a different perspective than the one we've lived our entire lives. Yeah. And uh, that is something we need to do more of. It's something we talk about wanting to do more of. And this is just one step in in a journey of many steps of uh, toward doing that as often as we can. For sure. So without further ado, 
let's get to it. Ryan Hartgrove, thank you for joining us. I am... I, there really, there's no other way. <laughs> I, I'm starstruck. And it's never been... Look, we live in the L.A. area, and I'm... We're wandering around Venice one day, and we saw Norm MacDonald walk out of a restaurant, and I'm just barreled right by him. Don't... But this is something kind of special for me, mm-hmm. because Public Enemy, much to a lot of people's probably surprise, mm-hmm. are top five favorite group of all time. Nice. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you being a member is... Uh, 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 we'll try to get through the interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. It's really a pleasure. Uh, and I really appreciate the work you guys are doing. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah. I think it would be useful to kind of start just with your background. I, I kind of want to get into how you found music, how that happened for you. But where where did you grow up? What was your early childhood experience like? Yeah, I grew up in Hollis, Queens. Um, not too far from where our current president grew up. Yeah, he was Jamaican, uh, right? Uh, yeah, just uh, as the crow flies, much less than a mile from him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, the area I grew up in was a middle-class black neighborhood. And uh, life was good, you know. Uh, and uh, ended up going to school in uh, uh, white neighborhoods uh, east of me. And that's when life got a little bit tough. Hmm. Uh, but the uh, but the uh, the home the home front was really great, you know. Uh, still is. My parents are still with us, and um, yeah, that was that was my early bringing, early upbringing. And when I went to school, you know, as I said, it got a bit tough because we were bust into uh, uh, sort of hostile territory. Hmm. And but in that same territory is where I found music as a calling and that um, uh, for those who are in the region, they'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. Hollis, uh, Hollis Queens, well, Queens is uh, the last borough East bef- uh, before New York ends. And then there's two more uh, on Long Island. There's two more counties, Suffolk County and Nassau County. And um, I went to school in the last two towns inside of New York city, hmm. which were majority white towns. Uh, but I uh, won tickets to see Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, which I, I know. I know Britney's a fan of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big time. Uh, she cries at Earth, Wind, and Fire concerts. If I remember correctly, I do. I do yeah, every okay. time. Every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, I uh, won tickets to see them when I was very young. I saw them in their uh, first arena tour. Oh, they, they were blowing up big, and they how did incredible! Big, big show with Jim, uh, not Jim Henson. Um, I forget the uh, magician's name who did their show for them. Mm. So they had this big magic show, big light show. And I'm in the middle of the arena, which is in Nassau County, which is even deeper into communities that we were not particularly welcome. Mm. Um, But there um, I had good seats and I was surrounded by uh, just, uh, just a lot of joy. There were people in the audience who looked like the very people who were, um, you know, making our life miserable yeah. in school, you know? So we're surrounded by a lot of white folks, a lot of black folk, Asian, uh, Hispanic, and everyone was there to enjoy the power and the beauty and the inspiration of that music. Mm-hmm. And it, it is kind of the magical thing about music. Yeah, for sure. Yes. yes. And prior to that, um, when I walked in there, I wanted to be a police officer. That oh, was wow. what I wanted to do as a kid. When I walked out, I mean, it sort of all hit me as, you know, as, as the weeks progressed. But walking out of there, uh, I was off of that course. Now, the reason I wanted to be a police officer is because being a policeman is a noble calling in the best of circumstances. And I wanted to do something good. I wanted to do something good in the world. Let, me, that's what I, let, me, let me drill down on that real quick. Sure. You mean like in idyllic, in an idyllic... Um, perfect world and if, if we had a utopic existence being mm-hmm. a police officer would be uh, a noble calling i, well, I don't understand especially in the climate we're living right now it seems that police are um justifiably suspect well in a utopia police 
wouldn't we need, need it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, in the world in which I grew up in, which was not a vile, I didn't grow up in a violent world, but I knew I lived in one. Okay. I, would, I didn't grow up in an envi- a violent environment, but I knew that the world has issues. And, uh, and I just thought being a policeman would be a good thing. And it's what I wanted at that age. But when I um, was when I was at the arena, I uh, had what we call an epiphany. Mm-hmm. You know, I said I could, I want to, and I will do that mm-hmm. because, as a policeman, I would be engaging people either after they've been victimized or after they've committed a crime, and in both cases, it's too late. Yeah. Um, as a musician, doing something that was on the level of what Earth, Wind, and Fire was doing at that time. Um, you can help people on their path to avoiding doing negative things. That's how it struck me. And that's what I wanted to do. It, it is. It, it's fascinating to me. It, the music thing being kind of a, a desegregated moment of magic and peace where people come mm-hmm. together and they celebrate uh, the music and uh, their shared fan fandom of, of a group, especially especially with Earth, Wind, and Fire, with the uh, meaning yes. and the messages of those songs. Yeah, I mean, yes. last year we saw them at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, in September. Yeah, and um, it, it is just a an amalgam. It, it's just a the, the melting pot that we all talk about and that's been you know shoved down our throats our whole lives as something that America stands for. Um, but but it's kind of it kind of rings with me also that you know that it's been said that the most segregated day of the week in America is Sunday where people in church mm-hmm. they go their separate ways. I think Malcolm X said that. Yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's right yeah. and and it's when you for your as far as it being a calling for you when we had your epiphany was there kind of a, like the an aspirational that like I could make some change to bring people together when you witnessed that concert. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and that's why I want, that's why I wanted to go in that direction because I want, it's the only reason I do music to be quite frank, other than, other than that as a calling, as a purpose for why I do it. I'm just a, for as much props as my friends and other people have given me, I'm just a, I'm just an average mu- music lover like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Mu- music is a tool for me, you know. That's why I do it, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other end of the. the it really does. I use the word magic because it seems like goddamn magic to me. I, like, well, it is. Like, it wait. is. Don't get me wrong. I know that it has magic, and and because of that, that's why I want to use it. And I and I maybe I maybe I downplayed it a little too much. I'm not just an I'm not just an average music lover. I mean, I'm a deep music lover, but I do it as a career because I know in the right hands and the right circumstances, it can affect change. You know, for like, sure. That's why. Yeah, yeah, that's why I do it. Yeah. How, how did you How did you come to find Public Enemy? How did that happen? Well, Chuck found me actually. Um, wow. I was a fan. Well, how I became aware of the band was. Uh, the music was being played in the neighborhood, but the band hadn't blown up yet. Uh, the first album didn't really blow up. Uh, but a friend of mine who is a fantastic bass player from Tel Aviv named Yossi Fine, he was about to go on tour with David Bowie and he needed a replacement for the band he was in. And he suggested that I uh, audition for that band, which is called Kelvinator. And um, uh, while we were sitting and chatting, he he was playing some Public Enemy. We, and I'm like, yo, that's you know, it's heavy. At that point, I'd only heard what was on the radio, but we were talking about uh, the lyrical content and on and on and on. I'm like, yeah. yo, that's that's where it's at. And so, you know, fast forward, um, Chuck reached out to me after uh, he and I had a friend in common. It was a, a gentleman named Kyle Jason who was on one of Chuck's labels, and I did a brief tour with Kyle. And then Chuck became aware of me through that work. And we did a few other things together. And then he called me and said, you know, uh, would you be interested in joining the band and being the band leader? So I considered it for about a second. (laughs) 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 So it was, it was a really powerful, um, uh, powerful thing, you know? Yeah. Do you you have a, you have a favorite album? I mean, when was the, I started yeah. with It Takes a Nation of Millions, obviously yeah. moved on to Fear of a Black Planet, and then I start. I kind of stopped being uh, as listening to rap 
regularly or hip hop mm-hmm. around Apocalypse ninety one. But mm-hmm. do you have a do you have a go to? My favorite album, I, I think, is the favorite album of everyone, which is where, where I, when when the band really uh, came on the map. The first album, a lot of people don't even know, still don't even know it exists. Yo, bum rush the show. Yeah, yeah. Nation of Millions is what made the statement, and that's when they became really it, they were making very clear social and political political statements yeah, yeah, on yeah. that record, and that that's. That spoke to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And and as far as not listening to not listening to rap at a certain time, as you mentioned, you know, the the whole genre started taking a serious dive. Um, not 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 Public Enemy, but the genre started taking a serious dive because the labels were really signing groups that were the, the antithesis of Public Enemy. Yeah. Because of what what Public Enemy represented, the band was really a threat. And it was a true threat, not to the system, not not those artists that were getting up and posing as a threat and saying all the things that a gangster would say in a movie. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. But Public Enemy really, Public Enemy, in my as far as I could tell, Chuck and I, I said this in an interview we did uh, in Sydney, I think Sydney, Australia, shortly after Barack Obama was elected, he was still president-elect. And Chuck and I did a series. Uh, we did one one specific interview with one of the big channels down there. But I said, um, you know, Public Enemy uh, ha- has something to do with helping pu- um, Barack Obama get elected because hmm. that group allowed a lot of young white people to listen to and view, to some degree, the black experience without being afraid of black people that that is my i grew up in a tiny mountain town in idaho yeah and Mm -hmm. it it really did tune me into shit that i would have would have would have had no idea or uh, ability to understand Mm -hmm. Uh, like burn hollywood burn or by Mm -hmm. the time i get to arizona those types of songs are just fucking they're very informational um, and a window in to someone else's lived experience that I certainly fucking wasn't living as, right. you know, uh, a 15, 16, 17 year old white kid in a tiny little white town in a tiny, in a giant, you know, landmass white state. Well, it- it's giving you that education that you didn't have access to, not just because you weren't around yeah. people who weren't sharing your experience, but because you also weren't being taught effectively yeah. Yeah. about history, likely even in school, right? Yeah. Where you're supposed yeah. to be getting that education. Growing up a conservative in a conservative state, you know, right. I, I mean, it's it, it, at the very least, it planted that seed for when I grew up to be a man mm-hmm. to reflect on and be like, oh, yeah, that shit, that's. That's real stuff. Yeah. That's a struggle that they're yes. that they're that they're they're singing about. Right. And and so that made Barack Obama when he was when he was now a candidate, it 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 made him more possible in the minds of people who still may have just looked at him as a black man as a threat. Yeah. You know. So I I, I think you know the band had at least a little something to do with that. You, you know, know, it it it, remi- it makes me. And I'm not going to ask you to weigh in on this latest controversy with with. Uh, with flavor and the the Bernie Sanders thing, but it, it mm-hmm. it's always been such a political, maybe not you know candidate endorsing, but um you know group. But it was a it was a weird thing where that became, I wouldn't say the dissolving, but you know they they're booting flavor flavor out of the group because of his uh, position on the matter. Mm-hmm. It, for those of you who don't know, uh, flavor Flav was. It, kicked out of the group because he didn't want to perform at a Bernie Sanders rally. Mm. And um, it became like a, a stink. Like there was t- tweets sent back and forth. And um, Chuck D is, he was on, in, on the Bernie train. So, well, you know, I, I can, I can, sh- uh, I'm not sure how much light I can shed on it, but I can say this about it. Um, as I said to you before the show started, public enemies and en- as an entity, as a legal entity is two people. Yeah. It's um, Flavor and Chuck. Their legal names, you know, their, their legal names that they use are what they are. are their entity, Flav- Flavor and Chuck, are not their legal names. Yeah. But those guys, <laughs> he's, Carl. The, he's Carl. <laughs> Carlton Ridenour and yeah. uh, William Drayton. That's the legal entity. So there was no kicking Flavor Flavor out of public game. That's not possible. Okay, he, he couldn't do that. And I saw Chuck 
when that was going on. He came to Santa Fe. He uh, interviewed. He did an interview with Rakim. Hmm. And uh, uh, we spent a couple of hours together, but we actually never got a chance to talk about it. Um, and I think, quite frankly, he didn't want to talk to me about it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, And I have no problem saying that. But um, it was, from what I can understand of the circumstance, the um, uh, it wasn't a public enemy performance. It was called public enemy radio. And so uh, Flavor wasn't there. Um, there are legal things going on with those guys. Yeah. And so using the public enemy name was a complication that flavor had every reason to speak to. Yeah. And I believe that's why he said what he said. Uh, I think it had less to do with the politics of it, more of the business of it. Sure. And, like we, we, we uh, saw, yeah. um, it was, it was, um, we saw Steely Dan and I guess there was some kind of, uh, controversy around. It should have been Donald Fagan. Right. From mm-hmm. Steely Dan. And that's kind of the same thing that, that flavor was saying. And Chuck D yeah. They actually put out a statement and said it was actually because he had been flaking on gigs. Anyway, I don't want to get into the whole controversy yeah, well, of it. And, that, and that's we could talk about that off, yeah, off yeah, camera, yeah. off camera, so to speak. Yeah. So anyway, let's get back on track. I'm I'm just such a fa- a nerd fanboy about it. I you know. Well, and obviously a big part of Public Enemy is the education that that you were just talking about and advocacy. Yeah. Do you view yourself as an advocate? Completely. An activist? Well, you know, an activist means, it means different things in this, in this uh, climate. An activist is a negative word in this climate. And the whole, you know, our whole, um, if, if, if things are going to um, move in a better direction, um, the, the language has to be addressed and we'll get into that some more. But, um, looking at what an activist is as far as uh, a, a, tr- a real definition of it. Yes. I I'm about moving the dial forward for people who are not uh, being treated fairly in any circumstance. Um, so I'm active in addressing that. My daughter is attending um, protests in San Francisco. Yeah. You know, and she's, she's, she's young. She's 19 years old. I'm upset because she's protesting the same things I protested. Yeah. I protested at eighteen years old. Yeah. Right. You know that's really did, upsetting. Did did being a member of PE has that moved the needle at all? Is that like uh, ramp you up in your in your fervor for being an advocate or an activist? Uh, or have have you always been? You know, at a level. I've al- no, I've always been there, and 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 the the introduction of Earthwind and Fire. Um, um, showed me how I could be that way, and be and be more useful than being a police officer. Yeah. So, and because I grew up in an environment that was hostile, um, even though I, I I lived in a very peaceful environment, you know, the whole busing thing was not a good thing. It was that wasn't a good thing to do. Um, but um, how, how do you mean? My, well, it it introduced trauma to people that shouldn't have had it, um, and, and so we're, we're jumping around. But I'll, I'll, I'll okay, let's let's address that. Um, as a, as a as a as a young black child, I grew up in a very balanced environment. I never wanted for anything. My parents are loving. We never had a need for anything. You know, we live a comfort, we lived a comfortable life. There was there were very good schools in my neighborhood. So busing me out of that, out of my neighborhood into a, a hostile environment, that, get, that gave me at a young age a trauma that I shouldn't have. You know, I, I get what they were, what allegedly the messaging was about um, um, busing, you know, to get black children into better schools. Well, it turned out that the school I was sent to, the, the the three schools I went to were in white communities that were all close together, uh, Queens Village, Floral Park, and Glen Oaks. Apparently, the birth rate in those areas was dipping radically hmm. at that time. 
And if they didn't have enough kids in those schools, they were going to lose funding. So a lot of black kids were shipped into those areas to make sure those schools didn't shut down. Right, at the service, at, at the service of the white system rather than yes. uh, at the benefit of the, of the black kids. Yes. I, and, so you're, you're saying from, from, from your particular circumstance, it wasn't mm-hmm. great. But you're not speaking to um, forced integration overall. You're just talking about your particular the situation with uh, the shitty situation you were in. Well, my, my situation, I'm sure, was not limited to me because a lot of black kids who went to white schools had to face violent reactions from from people who were Donald Trump's age. I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the knuckleheads, you know, hassling us going yeah, to school, sure. you know. But um, I'm not, you know, integration is something that needs to be, adults need to do that. You don't you, you don't use children and traumatized children to get a job done that adults have failed to do, hmm. you know. And that's that's that was my experience. And and we've we've seen hist we've seen the stories of a little little black girl being shepherded into school. Yeah, sure. At, with with was that uh, what was that to prove? That was to that wasn't going to change those people who didn't want her there. They didn't change. And if they did change, they changed at what expense? At, you know, so they well, don't the feel better at, about at the themselves. expense of, uh, of the benefit of future generations who would be integrated and they wouldn't think twice about it because it wouldn't be a big deal because that's just the way it is. It, se- it seems to me, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you're not saying that it would, I mean, because at what point do you start to integrate schools if not for that first black student going to a white school? There's well, given, given what humans do, have done, and continue to do. You have to understand that you're sacrificing, a, you're, second, you're sacrificing a group of young people for the future of others. I get that. Nothing is perfect. I understand it. But the 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 legislative approach could have been far more effective if our government really, really wanted these things to change. It came down to these forced actions with these high risks. Because really, there were players on both sides that had an investment in the system as it was. Yeah, I'm sure, for sure. I, that, that, I don't doubt. I don't deny that. Yeah, yeah. but you know, it, I'm sure people have different have other stories that were that were great, and because of what it is and what it was, uh, what it continues to be, that's the that's the choice. That was the move that was that was taken. But in my case, it then shipped a lot of students out of the black neighborhoods that then eventually became less funded. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I'm I'm kind of curious about your experience with police growing up because you said you initially wanted to be a cop. So, you know, sometimes people, they have a bad experience and that makes them want to go into a field and have a corrective experience. Was it the case that you had negative experiences with the police as a kid and, and that's why you wanted to go into it? Or did you see no. models of positive policing and you were sent the message that that was a way to make a difference and, and that's what was motivating that? Well, the image of police um, generally has always been presented fairly noble. Hmm. Okay. I didn't have bad experiences with police, you know, contrary to what, you know, a lot of, a lot of people like to think about young black men growing up. The worst experience I had with police were were in West Germany and in uh, 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 Poland, I think. That's that's, that's the worst experience I've had. And those were fairly deadly. Well, like what what time period you're talking about when they were Eastern Bloc, Iron Curtain, yeah, Soviet, yeah, so 19, 1988. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So those were the worst. I mean, having cat walk up with an Uzi, your papers, please, literally, yeah. you know, wow. like in the movies. But I didn't, ha- I didn't have any negative. As a matter of fact, all of my all of my interactions with police have been quite good. I actually had a police officer defend me in court against. The, uh, he defended me in front of a judge. Over a ticket, he wrote me, and he defended me. Okay, you don't think that's the um, norm, though, do you? No, Brian. it's not the norm. Yeah, and and I, and I don't. And the thing is, I don't need a personal, a bad personal experience to know that something needs to be addressed. Because black people, you know, what I did grow up with is um, black men in large numbers get judged 
by the few black people who do stupid shit. Yeah. Okay. But police officers don't get judged by the, by the, the bad things that one policeman does. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I, and if you're going to do it one way, you need to do it both ways. Now it's happening to the police. Now where a lot of them are getting the side eye and you get these police officers that are getting upset. Well, we're not all bad. We're not all bad. Well, sh- why don't you take that approach with black people? In your yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all bad. You know? Well, I this, would, none of this is easy. Uh, I know, would, I would counter only slightly that the, the sentiment that if you're going to do it one way, you have to do it the other. And I would counter slightly only to say that one is in the power. One is mm-hmm. an armed set of armed agents of the state who have the ability to oppress and murder mm-hmm. and kill and maim and harm. And, um, the other is completely without power. So it's, I don't yeah, listen. I don't not feel. A, I don't fucking have one ounce of sympathy for the cops who are like, "Well, not all of us are." Blah blah blah. Well, then you know what? Do something about your colleagues or shut that's, the fuck up. That's it. And and I don't even take it as a counter to what to what I said. We're in, we're in total agreement. I'm just I'm just dealing with the argument on its face and to show that it's not even an argument because yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And that's well, thank what you, Brian. I, lo- I love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. The, the police, um, whether it's general or not, the police, the police in enough cases are out of control and unaccountable. And that has to change. For that sure. Has to change. Yeah. It's, it's been refreshing seeing the movement for defund the police. And I know that this conversation has been happening. Academics mm-hmm. have been researching this for a long time. There's a body of research in what it would look like, how it could be done. But a lot of people are finding the defund the police movement just in recent days and starting to look into how it would be possible. I'm, I'm wondering what some of your reactions have been just reading through some of the defund the police articles or reactions that people have. What are some of your thoughts on, on that movement? Well, the first reactions came in the form of a question because I spoke at a, um, uh, a rally here two Sundays ago and there were, there were people with signs in, in various ways saying defund the police. So, and, and there were some very young people holding those signs and the person who put the rally on was saying that too. So I had to ask multiple people, what do you mean by defund the police? What does that mean to you? Yeah. And um, uh, enough people said, well, you know, we need to get rid of police departments and da, da, da. And I'm like, wait a minute. I said, as a, as a society, we haven't grown past needing those guardrails. And I said, and secondly, as a black man, especially where I live, where there are very few black people. Yeah. Um, at least if the police, it, to me, it's, it's prosecute the police. And we'll get to that. Um, if the police are gone, if then I don't even have a system that I pay taxes into where I can call on somebody to protect me from these crazy dudes with these military, with this military machinery that's yeah. looking for the second, a second civil war. They'll come after me. Yeah. Listen, so, I'm, I'm you know, with you on that. I think that yeah. they're for the people who are just outright abolish police. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's a non-starter. We don't exactly. live going back to the beginning in that utopic existence. We don't, mm-hmm. we're not there. We're not there, right, but right. there needs to be not just reform of, of individual municipalities and police departments. We need to replace with a completely different set of criteria for how Absolutely. they behave. And like you said, and we can get to it now, fucking prosecute those who step out of line, those who have authority over others. They have to be held accountable. Yes, sir. When when you look at just the most recent incident of uh, George Floyd, by the time the whole the whole um by the time that that hit social media um within 24 hours the whole world saw what happened okay yeah yeah. easily within 24 hours and anybody who was going to watch that to its end had watched it and the protests did not start within 24 hours they didn't even start the next day the protest started when it was clear that the uh people in power in, in minneapolis 
They had the power to arrest and press charges when it was clear they weren't going to do that or they were going to try to use terminologies where they can sort of muddy it up by calling it a he died from a medical incident. Yeah, come on. Then then the protest started because we knew at that point that they were going to try to get him off, get him off. Yeah. So so if you want to blame the 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 um the the protests and the subsequent looting by the professional looters who would do that even if a game if a basketball game let out in an unruly way people like that would loot anyway sure um, white people um who, it's what, not a the, looting is yeah. not is not a is not a black ex, you know uh, expression it, yeah, everybody no, it's, fucking, it, it's, it's it's a not. synergistic thing that just starts happening and people do, yes. we, you know they have that video of the woman running out of the target with the an arm yeah. filled with lamps. Well, also one of the one of the worst looting experiences in Southern California, where we live, in Huntington Beach, was after one of the surfing competitions. Yeah, that the happens. U.S. Open. Of surfing. Yeah, the U.S. Open, yeah. and, and they so just went go. crazy on Main Street, throwing things through the windows and looting everything. And that was all white people running yeah. in the streets. Yeah, and, so, and there was some some football or basketball game where somebody won something a few years ago, and they were end up burning stuff in the street. Probably in Philly, there, you know. Uh, but, Those uh, fucking Philly but, sports fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they get they get pretty out there. Um, but um, you know, th- so if you want to blame somebody for the protests and sub and the subsequent looting, you blame the person who didn't press charges. When they they only did that when they had no choice. Yeah. So the the issue um, is prosecute. I've had I had a conversation with the mayor of Santa Fe here. Um, I knew him before he became mayor. And um, uh, he was talking about um, some programs, uh, some training programs, and da, 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 da. And I said, look, you can't train that kind of hatred out of anybody. They come to the force with that. And, the, yeah. and there's nothing, and you, you can talk about all of the, um, all of the um, disadvantages that people of color have economically, you know, in the system that, the way it's set up, all of that's valid. Let's not confuse the immediate issue. Let's let's continue on from this issue to those other issues. But the immediate issue is, if these police were going to be prosecuted, half of them wouldn't pull the shit that they pull. Yeah, for sure. And they know they know they're not going to. They know there's a good chance. Look, this cat with his knee on Floyd's neck. Goddamn. He was if he was just a regular cat. He would try to hide that. The only reason you could do it that brazen yeah. is because you know the badge is going to back you up to some degree. And they tried to, but and no one expected that this would finally break the straw. And I, it's hard to even know if the camel's back has still yet to been broken, mm-hmm. but people are, are coming on. So the conversation and there's this, we're working on the conversation with our governor, governor, Grisham, uh, the conversation for me is you've got to start with with prosecution. You have to prosecute these people. If they if you're talking about anything before that, you're not trying to you're not trying to solve this. You're just trying to check the boxes and say you talked about it. Yeah, I think prosecuting is certainly an important place to start. I I was reminded of two things while you were talking. You you mm-hmm. talked about you can't train this out of people. And a lot of people talk about the importance of implicit bias and implicit bias mm-hmm. training, despite the fact that research shows that it's not very effective at doing what it needs to do, which is mm-hmm. having people check their biases and actually have that be useful in the line of work so that their decisions aren't based on their bias making people aware of their bias doesn't actually change their behavior and so the implicit bias training people talk about it but not not super useful not really backed up by research in, in terms of effectiveness but i was also reminded of how unfortunate it is that we're having a mix of people arguing when it comes to defund the police, abolish the police. Some people are mm-hmm. out there saying, get rid of the police right now, fire them all. Let's just be done with it. Yeah. But there are other people that are saying, listen, here's what de- defund the police means. We have a country where we are spending double on police, prisons, what we spend on income supplements. 
food mm-hmm. stamps, welfare. And I think if the conversation were to be turned in that direction, in addition to prosecuting the police, which is crucial, so important mm-hmm. at the top of the mm-hmm. list, it's also mm-hmm. what are our priorities? What are we spending money on? We need to funnel more of those funds into alleviating poverty yeah. yes. and those societal issues Early rather childhood than education. Right. Yeah. Rather yeah. than lifting up the police, lifting up the prisons, lifting up the courts. Yeah. Well, for I, the I, system I, to say that there's no other way. This is the way we've always done it. We have to continue. Fuck you. Fuck yeah. off. And that's my point. Uh, that, that, that is my point. And, and I agree with you, Brittany. Um, all these things do need to be discussed. My the immediate my immediate response to people who've, who've come to me about this, which are you know so many at this point, um, is I want to make sure that the right thing that triggered this moment continues to be talked about and doesn't get lost because those programs have programs like what they're talking about now become a distraction to the immediate condition that is existing, which is. Um, the the death toll of mm. black people yeah. at the hands of police. Yeah. And it's easy for those things to get missed. They all need to be talked about. And, and, but the, the thing is the, the other things that are, are systemic have always been talked about and have never been addressed effectively. And, and now this, this violence where it's like, okay, primetime violence now becomes a, a, a um, uh, a fuse to a real powder keg that everything else is attached to. So we've got to diffuse this by making sure these folks feel like they can't get away with this because there is a real, real problem w- within the police force. There are too many people in the police force who do believe that being white is better and black people need to be contained, even if they're no threat. For that sure. is very real. For sure. Let me, let me ask you this related to what we were talking about earlier about uh, obviously, the protests had a tangible, real fucking effect on getting those those brutal pricks um, indicted and arrested and facing jail, fa- facing trial and conviction. Um, Brittany and I have talked about it on the show. I-, I may have even talked about it on YouTube, but it seems like to us, it seems like something has changed, like at the very least, maybe the system understands that now the people know there's power in protest. There's power in pushing back against the system. And it, the, the, those arrests were a direct result of taking to the streets. Do you see things? Is it going to be business as usual going forward? Or do you think there's a chance here for some real change? There's a chance for real change. Whether it's business as usual going forward, we'll have to, we'll have to uh, see. Now, the, the power of protest, look, nobody, everybody in this country always knew that protest was powerful. It's just that for the most part, black people have had to protest on, on their own. Yeah. The reason this is moving is because there are so many white people protesting. That is the only thing that has ever changed anything for black people in America. Black people have been, have been peaceful at times and, 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 and when peaceful, we met with violence from the system yeah. at the hands of the police. Sure. And when we've been forced into violence, we've been met with violence at the hands of the police from the system. So now that everybody's stuck at home and they don't, they don't know what, and, and so many people are questioning their futures. Okay. Possibly, but just the sheer brutality of seeing a man Breathe his last breath. Yeah. How many people have actually ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Powerful I, for sure. I, I have, I still haven't seen that. I refuse to watch this brother breathe his last breath at the hands of this animal. Mm-hmm. I refuse to have that in my psyche. I knew that it happened before the video of it came to me because some folks told me about it yeah. really quickly, and then I was flooded with the videos. I said, "I'm not going to watch this." I have a hard time watching them too. Yeah, a, now, a real tough time. But, but a huge part of the world and a huge swath of this country saw it. Even those that may not have watched it to the end, they saw how his end came. Yeah. How many people in America has actually seen that? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of young white people who are done with the racist BS that their grandparents and their parents have given them. Right. Okay. And so they're in the street. 
My um, Stuart Copeland's a, a good friend of mine. We're working on some music together. Stuart from the police. And he said his daughter's out protesting. The group, the and, band, the police. Not the police, yeah. the police. <laughs> yeah, from the band, the police. Yeah. The drummer. The drummer, Yeah, right? the drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuart. Yeah. And uh, he said his daughter's out there protesting. Hmm. And, you know, that's she, she comes from a, a very secure environment, you know? Um, so those numbers, the, those numbers of white people participating is, is what moves the dial. But it also has put a bullseye. It is really has given the right something to focus on. And what they're going to focus on, what they've begun to focus on is something they've always addressed. People like yourself, Jesse, you know, they'll call you, you know, they'll call you what, uh, uh, Whatever, race whatever, traitor, cock. Race, I yeah, call all kinds of great shit on, on that's, YouTube. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to come. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to get to that race traitor. So they'll call you that. So, so what? What would if I was them? I would. I would focus in on this. This big concern. Well, if a whole bunch of white people are now co- going to come up against the system, I believe in too. I've got to give them a reason to not do this. So I've got to, number one, confuse the issue. And then I've got to start giving them heat. Yeah, yeah. Now, how, the, how is that going to come down? We don't know yet. But Well, let me that, tell you this. They're losing yeah. ground. The other side right now is losing ground because immediate polling data um, over the course of the last few weeks has shown double-digit point increases in support for Black Lives Matter. For, specifically mm-hmm. for Black Lives Matter, the movement, because mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. you know, when it started after Michael Brown, it was scant scant public uh, approval of it and now it is uh, i think it's over 50 percent, which is mm-hmm. a massive sea change that's significant yes absolutely so that's so, a, that's a that's a positive thing that we are seeing in certain um from polling metrics from that standpoint we are seeing change and hopefully it it manifests itself in some actual reform and that's my answer to your question yes this is this can be sustained this is a good move it is different than it has been in the past and the reason why is because it's not black people alone doing it yeah and they're going to think you know the, the, the security systems are going to think a little bit harder about jumping on some blonde white girl than they are going to then they are going to be jumping on a black guy you know it's happening but they're going to be a little less a little less quick to do it and that is all that anyone has ever needed for the dial to move for them, for an oppressed people anywhere. Yeah, is yeah. that the, the majority says, okay, enough of this, and we got to help. It, it and really, that's what's happening now. what you're talking about there, as far as the other races are concerned, there, there are other ethnic groups out there, for, like where you live and where I grew up, uh, indigenous people who are right. greatly abused by the power yep. structure and by police. Absolutely. And, and they don't get as much talk because... Uh, their numbers aren't as great, and it's not publicized as much. Mm. But mm-hmm. you know, I grew up on an Indian reservation, mm-hmm. um, and I witnessed all kinds of just terrible, abusive behavior and shitty racist attitudes. And um, I think I- I'm hoping to see change in all of these areas going forward. I I'm married to a native woman. I literally live on native land. Yeah. Okay. And I'm dealing with this all the time. And, and that's, that is the complicated aspect of this. And that is why the focus can't be lost because there are more people banking on this change than just black people. We're seeing all kinds. I mean, there's all the things that are just up in our face, publicized, um, police brutality, um, the, the several different cases that we know of right now that just happened. But then also these other cases that are coming out from like Oklahoma, where this cop is being told by the man that he ultimately kills, saying, I can't breathe. The cop responds, I don't care. So right from a year ago. yeah. So these are all right up in our faces. But are there other elements that maybe aren't getting the publicity that we should be um also focusing on maybe uh, things that you're passionate about, yeah. or, or, you know, yeah, there are, there, there are many, uh, but I've had to zero my focus in on this specific thing um, re- regarding the police at this moment, because I've, I've got a window to deal with it because I'm being asked by substantial organizations. How can we move this? Do- you know, what do we need to do here? Yeah, yeah But yeah. yes, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed. And that's why other issues like um, um, 
education and and financial opportunities for um, disenfranchised groups of people. That's why those are coming up because yes, there are a, a whole bunch of issues and they need to be addressed and they need to be addressed as importantly as this focal point. But like I said, the focal point is threatening to ignite a much bigger bomb and we have to make sure that that's being talked about so the police can't be used to further incite because police departments are being used to incite. Yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, I don't want to have this whole show be me fucking pushing back on shit you say, but I, I, I don't, I would be cautious to use that kind of language only because for me, it kind of seems like cops are being let off the hook for the individual choices they're making in the street to abuse and brutalize and we've witnessed dozens and dozens and dozens of times from places all over the country brutalize peaceful protesters. Well, that's certainly, what I'm saying. Certainly, yeah, police I'm saying. certainly police departments are being used, but it's yeah. also individual decisions made by individual cops. And, yes. you know, and, and, and as, as point- famous black musicians said, Fuck the police, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let me let me clarify my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me clarify my point. When I say police departments are being used, you can have an individual like what sparked this. That was an individual call on that person's part and those the others that stood by. But then you have you have larger elements, larger groups being used against people, like up in Standing Rock. Those were those were employees of the municipality. Yeah. And and they would that those departments were being used to incite. So both things are happening. Yeah. We're not disagreeing. Both things are happening. And I'm I'm just making sure I don't take my eye off that ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm but I'm never going to say all oh, police are bad because they're not. Yeah, no. I mean, I think uh, we've talked about that. That would be insane to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to generalize and paint with such a broad brush. But yeah. certainly, police departments historically and even today in modernity. Are, are, are a, an oppressive tool yes. to, to maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That's all I'm saying. So we agree. Yeah. Brian, are there people that you look up to or thought leaders that you would recommend people pay more attention to during this time that, that it would be important for them to read from, learn from, follow? I think a lot of people are making a lot of sense. Um, I try not to point to an individual mm-hmm. with with a particular thought process. And here's why, and very reason, very reasonable why. Uh, one of uh, one of the more powerful songs that's happened in our lifetime was a song called "A Cult of Personality." Oh my God! Uh, okay, and, they're no, okay. no, they're in my top five. <laughs> Living Color right. is in my top five. All right. So Vernon Reed, Will Calhoun, yeah. Muskill, Gillings was the original bass player, and we're both we, we knew each other as kids and would we're, we're tight as two I think in the you're my now. new best friend. I think you're <laughs> okay. my new fucking best friend, bro. Um, uh, they, they spoke they spoke to the cult of personality. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned people we hold in high esteem as well as yeah. people we we despise yeah, FDR, in that song. That, that clip so, in the show. Yeah. So um, I say we need to listen to what everyone who's trying to address this as an honest broker, listen to what, they, what, the, what they're saying. Everyone has a piece of this answer. Everyone has a piece. The people you need, you need to not waste time on are people who would say things like, well, this is wrong. This is, and there's an artist who was interviewed by um, Rolling Stone recently who was a fine artist, um, he was saying how sick he was of being looked at as um, a threat. You know, I'm a six foot black man and everybody looks at me like, you know, I hate this. You know, I don't have any answers, but that, you know, when you say I don't have any answers and let somebody who has a thought about it speak. Yeah. You know, if people are just throwing things out there because Rolling Stone is interviewing people because they have to, they've got to do something. They got to get eyes, but are they going to interview anybody who's really going to drill down on specificity? No, because Rolling Stone is not that. It's a it's a soundbite organization. That's what's yeah. been that's what's come down the to corporate it. media. Uh, yeah. So I saw to answer Brittany's question, there I, I you've got to watch the you've got to watch 
the the reporting on these issues when there are guests on you've got you know people with half a brain can assess a dishonest broker in a conversation okay and so everyone has a piece of it just beware of those who are looking for the opportunity to build and to build a movement around themselves. Those people have always been problems for black people. Okay. Those have always been a problem when they got out of hand. Movements have been built around people on on behalf of black people who weren't trying to build it around themselves, but they just happened to have the truth and they had the wherewithal to get it across. Dr. King was like that. Sure. Okay. Malcolm X was like that. Yeah. Although, although he didn't get the support from the black community, he should have gotten. You know, he didn't get it in in in, in the numbers that he should have gotten. I've I've but, said on this program many times, I'm more a Malcolm Malcolm X type than I am a Martin Martin Luther King Jr. type mm-hmm. because I'm I'm fucking aggressive and mm-hmm. you know, but the, the kind of the by any means necessary kind of an attitude. Yeah. So I I admire and, I admire Malcolm a lot. Well, let, let let me let me say something about the the two of those the two of those men and the United States speaking about, if we speak about this in karmic terms, okay. And I mentioned this in an interview that I, that I think uh, you guys saw in karmic, but for your audience in karmic terms, spiritual terms. Okay. If you will, this country has never done things the easy way. We've always taken the hard way it seems. And when Dr. King and, and um, Malcolm X were here together at the same time, um, Dr. King presented this country with a choice. You call yourself a Christian nation. We're just asking you to adhere to those values in how you deal with us. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Malcolm X essentially said, well, look, we've seen the history. That's not going to change, you know? So it was a choice. We can do this the peaceful way, or this could get violent. Yeah. And so it was a crossroads moment for the country. What did the country do? It said, "Ah, hell with it. We'll just kill them both." Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, really, they were they 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 were they were presented with a choice of look. These are mm-hmm. the two options you've got, and they chose a third option. That's um, right. it and is, that's what we're living. That's what we're living through right now. Th- yeah, this is one of the reasons why I love James Baldwin so much because he mm-hmm. was kind of the the fulcrum. He was the balance in the middle between those two gentlemen. And yeah. uh, I think more people should be should be looking into who James Baldwin is and what he said and what he thought. Um, I think the world would be better for it. I think so, too. And, and he's he's not represented at all. He was never represented in school. OK, um, in, in my upbringing. Yeah, in, I've only learned it in my adult life. Him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And we've only ever heard about Dr. King growing up. Malcolm X wasn't even talked about in yeah. school. Yeah. You know. So, well, he was uh, the scary, but, radical yeah. black guy that, you know, white people just, aren't going to. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. listen, this has been. Goddamn. We I mean, we do a lot of interviews. We talk to a lot of people. And I do walk away from I don't want to shit on all of our previous guests, but I'm walking away with this really feeling good. It's so great okay. to, to, to meet you. So great. And we've been con- connected on Facebook for I don't know how long. Um, but this is just. Uh, yeah. This has been a treat for me. I know Brittany's probably. I was going to make a joke. Are but. you kidding me? I got. I got to. I got to hear about Earth, Wind, and Fire, the the original stadium tour. Come on now. Yeah, it's been really great. We we appreciate your perspectives. And mm-hmm. uh, do you have what do you got going on? You, you said you're 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 doing something with uh, with uh, the other police. <laughs> Oh, yeah. With Stuart Copeland. With Stuart yeah. Copeland, right. Yeah, Stuart Copeland and I are, are doing a record together. Um, I think that might see the light of day sooner than I expected. Um, I'm also doing an album with Fred Schneider from the B-52s. He's yeah. a friend of mine. Uh, and that's that's close to uh, being completed. And I've started a new group um, called Unholy Crows. And that group is specifically dealing with all of what we're dealing with right now. And those recordings are in process right now, and uh, we'll be able to. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you a heads up. I'll give you all the links when we're ready to roll with it, which should be in you know, within a week. Yeah, and uh, hopefully you can uh, spread the word. Yeah, as fantastic I, as for I sure. Do with you for sure, nice. we will. All yeah. right. Well, listen. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, 
And uh, you're forgetting the last question. Oh, no, you're right. God damn it. God, what's wrong with me? So (laughs) we like to end the episode. Brittany's waving her hands over there like, hey, dickhole. Um, (laughs) Well, you go ahead and ask since you're. I'm fucking this all up. Yes, it's a, it's a it's question. Not like it's, it's not like uh, we do this ever. So it's a question we love to ask. Sometimes forget. Obviously, is just almost happened with Jesse D over there. We like to ask guests on the show, "What is something that you recently changed your mind about?" And it can be something big, it can be something small, but we like to normalize in our conversations on this show being able to change one's mind with new information. We, we advocate a position of continuing education, lifelong learning, always trying to learn, relearn, grow, and get better. And so we like to hear from different perspectives of people we have on the show. And Brian, what would you say? What is something that you recently changed your mind about? Um, on the issues which we were addressing, I haven't really changed my mind about anything because mm-hmm. nothing's really changed yeah. on those issues. But um, um, I do... Uh, oh. I, it's I, a tough one. It, it really is. And I don't want to be frivolous about it. Um, and, and I respect you guys too much to just give a, uh, a, a, a useless answer. I'm thinking of a lot of things. Now, has my mind changed about anything? Oh, I can't give you an answer. I can't give you an answer. In recent years, I've, I've been feeling, you know, it's not, nothing is going to change. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was feeling nothing was going to change. Okay. And uh, I was just going to have to live with the failure of moving, of being able to move the dial for my daughter. Yeah. Okay. And that was hard to swallow, but I have not in my conscious mind, but now that you're asking the question, subconsciously I had been feeling that. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope for change. Yeah, now I don't feel that. Now I feel like there is hope. And part of that hope is the fact that she's out there. Yeah. yeah. She she cares. She gives a damn. You know, the, and and where there's, you know, like Ed Norton said on the honeymooners, with there's always hope when there's water and soap, you know? <laughs> so she she gives me hope and she needs me doing what I've always done to give this a chance. So it, so things can change. And let, and let me say this too. Um, and th- what's it's connected to this. A lot of people don't really understand. I feel don't understand just how important Barack Obama was in being elected. Okay. And this is related to, to what you're asking me when he went before he was elected Every black person I know was saying the same thing. We'll never see a black president in our lifetime. Yeah, sure. Every black person has always said that. When he was elected, what he did. Now, the the people that got rich, who were getting rich before him, continued to get rich while he was president. So I'm going to put aside my thoughts about his policies for a moment and think about what mattered the most on a human level. My daughter and every black and brown kid and white kids that don't have opportunity, but particularly black and brown kids, they will never live with the yoke of I can't or this can't or or anything like that. They, he has lift his election lifted a lifted a psychological yoke off of black people that could never be returned, never be put back. And that is fundamentally, I believe, why he was so hated by the Republican Party. Because when you change when you change a mindset, shit changes. Absolutely. No better is the biggest listen, no better way to end an episode than on that. (laughs) You change a mindset, shit changes. Yeah. There you go. Thank you for joining us, Brian. We appreciate you very much. And we'll uh, thank thank you so much. We'll have you back on. All right. Much love to you, Brittany. Much love to you, Jesse. Take care, guys. Not too bad if I do say so myself. Yeah. It was a good time. Well, and I I love these conversations because it's it's always good to, like you said, at the top of the show, get a different perspective, invite people on, hear about their experiences, hear about their lives, and... 
I love asking that question at the end, too, about what people have changed their minds about. Yeah. We definitely need to start giving people time. Some heads up. To think about that conversation, yeah, yeah. to think about that question, because it is, it's a big question. Yeah. I mean, well, it's some, it's one that I don't think people think about enough or mm-hmm. at all. And then when it, when it's posed to them, it's like, oh, Jesus, uh, do you, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He, he rolled with the punches. Yeah. And it was a great answer. Yeah. And I came away from the conversation feeling very grateful that Brian took the time out of his day yeah, to yeah, have yeah. the conversation with us and to address some of these things, which I'm sure are not easy to talk about. And like he said, he's doing a lot of work in this area right now. He's spending a lot of time talking about it and on the circuit, I guess, maybe, yeah. possibly. Right, the circuit. <laughs> and that that has to be exhausting, talking yeah. about this stuff all the time. So, Well, I would say... His, I mean, listen, I'm notoriously optimistic. Everyone knows that. But his hope, his hopefulness, the fact that he was changed, his mind has been changed about what level of change we can see happen. That makes me even more hopeful than I already am that we're seeing something new and different and and unique and world-changing could be happening. So I, I just... I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fantastic. So anyway, we're going to leave you there. We'd love to know what you think about this and any other topic. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. If you would like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon, and you can choose a dollar amount to support the show on a monthly basis. We send out some stickers or some 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 perks, and um, we love you guys. I guess we'll sign off. We'll see you next time, and until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.